1: Sue Meyer. Welcome to Homeopathy for Mommies. This week we're excited to give you a preview of Sue's new homeopathy pregnancy, birth, and beyond course. This is session one of this course. Stay tuned after this week's podcast to hear all about how you can get access to this course on her website.
2: Hello, and welcome to our birthing course. This is Sue Mayer. We have so much information here, it's really hard to know where even to begin. We have guest speakers, and that's something I've never really done a lot of. <laughs> Actually, I've never done it before. But we do have two guest speakers because it's so important to get a really well-rounded idea of what's coming up. I'm assuming that most of the girls or women or families who are purchasing this course are about to have the new baby or are planning a baby or are having trouble having a baby or they want this course for someone else that is having a baby. And so we're just really, really trying to shove in as much information as we possibly can. And like I said, (laughs) if I could go back 38 years and have this information, my childbearing years would have been totally different. I Even My mom had a midwife when she delivered my last sister. I was 15 at the time. And I can remember my mom saying, oh, my gosh, what a wonderful experience. She was in the hospital when she delivered. But, you know, she had her first six babies in a hospital setting in Michigan. She had a wonderful family doctor that she absolutely adored. But, you know, I look back at the horror stories that my mom told. I mean, I was a forceps delivery. Yep, that tells you a lot about me. (laughs) And my my mom almost died when she had the brother right before me. It's the stories are horrible. And even when I had started having children myself, well, let's put it this way. If you can, if you have access to Netflix, there's still a show on there and it's called The Business of Having Babies. Oh no, no. The Business of Being Born. Please find a place where you can watch Netflix and watch that documentary. It's absolutely horrifying and yet it's very very true. Like I said, it's called The Business of Being Born on Netflix. I have watched it twice. I have taken notes. I I can't even really talk about it. It's it's just so shocking, but it's like I said, it's the way it is. My childbearing years would have been so different. I would have had a midwife. I actually had my very first experience With a midwife, Um, just recently, my last grandchild was born with the aid of a midwife and at my daughter-in-law and my son's home, and it was so beautiful. I have been at the bedside of not only my own 11 children, two of which were cesarean, and I guess we could talk about all that. But the point is, um, I've, I've been at the bedside of at least... 25 not including my own children at least 20 to 25 ch- babies and i love it i i love every moment about being there because i i always have such a connection and i I feel so close to these babies and when they when they're born and they look up at you and they you know just oh my goodness it, it to me i you can just feel the angels in the room i'm sorry it's it's kind of like being with people when they die in the sense that there is such a spiritual awareness when we come into the world, and when again when we leave the world, and nothing can replace that. And all of heaven either rejoices, or obviously <laughs> sometimes I think they're sad, but I've never witnessed that. So anyway, um, it is—it's the—it's mo- so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. But when I got to be with my last grandson when he was born in his home in the setting of his parents and, and this calm midwife. And it was so beautiful. It was so relaxing. It was an experience very unlike the hospital setting. And I just, I am so thankful for it. So anyway, if I would have had the courage to have a midwife in my in my home, I would have done so. <laughs> I say courage. Once you have nurses that are willing to, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's different. And like, it, like I said, it's, having a baby if we can take that responsibility upon our own shoulders and realize we're the only ones that can go through it we're the only ones that can direct our pain we're the only ones that can harness and corral that pain and use it to our benefit to bring a child into the world you know and a good midwife will help you to do this so yeah the quicker we realize that and the quicker we accept it and embrace it the happier I think we'll be as women, right? (laughs) So anyway, that's what this is about. Like I said, I just, I'm so excited about all of our guest speakers. Like I said, I'll introduce them as they come. And in the meantime, we are going to talk about having babies. We are going to talk about the birthing kit that I offer. This birthing kit is, I love this kit. It's it is not complete. Of course, there is no kit in the whole world that's totally complete. But this is a kit that will come up throughout the course of a pregnancy, before a pregnancy, during pregnancy, following pregnancy. And it's a kit that, I don't know, I even, I, there's so many things in here I even use just for um, just different issues. Um it's, it's, it's a very versatile kit because obviously all remedies are versatile, but there's some that are extremely specific to pregnancy, nursing, or, you know, delivery, things like that. They're in here, but like I said, I don't, I tell people not to get too hung up on it because the thing is, is we can use all these remedies for different things. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to start out by talking about before you have your baby. And uh just tell you a couple of stories here. And just, just some things to be aware of is the first to be aware of is a, a mom's health and a father's health. And I'm assuming, let's see, I look back and like when my husband and I got married, we were both extremely healthy specimens. <laughs> okay. So we thought he was a good, he was a strong farm boy. I was a strong farm girl. And we got married. We well found out we're gonna have our first baby quite quickly but the point is is i actually had a lot of swelling and toxic type symptoms from my first pregnancy i didn't develop toxemia per se but i had a lot of itching i had a lot of and i look now i know those things are liver issues the doctor says oh some swelling is perfectly normal and so on and so forth well, I wished I would have had a homeopathic kit. I wished I would have known to take Nat NatMur 30X to help with my swelling, or Nat NatSelf to help with my liver function, because from the time I was about seven months along, I would come home from work at 10.30 at night, and I, was, I would fill the sink up with cold water. I would dump two trays of ice cubes in there, and I would sit with my hands and feet in that sink until the swelling went down enough for me to go to bed and be able to rest because my hands were itching and they were so swollen that it was just it was just very difficult to get any rest on top of all of that I had terrible terrible acid reflux okay um and the point I had only I gained 25 pounds with my first pregnancy so I was I was I had a very healthy pregnancy I had the sunshine because I I he was born the end of September. So I had the whole summer of rich sunshine, rich garden vegetables, good food. We raised our own chickens. It was, I was very blessed to have such good nutrition when I was expectant. But I still had problems. Now, later, uh, I read well, back to the acid reflux. My acid reflux was so bad for the last two months, I sat sitting up in bed, to try to sleep because it would come right up my esophagus and burn like fire. And as depressing as this is, now for me to say out loud, I lived on Tums. Yes, folks, that's right. I lived on Tums. I didn't know any better. I also actually I couldn't always afford Tums. So I did know about baking soda, um, sodium bicarb, which is, one molecule of sodium and two molecules of carbon, and so it really does relieve, like acid reflux, very quickly, as well as help the digestion because of the carbon factor. But <laughs> I lived on that stuff. You know, a half a teaspoon of baking soda in a half a glass of water, chug down. It'll you'll burp and it'll calm the acid in your in the esophagus and the stomach and soothe the esophagus. And so that's what I, like I said, I couldn't always afford Tom's. <laughs> Isn't that awful to think about it? But this, that's what I did. And so my first pregnancy was really rough that way. My second pregnancy was a dream. Uh, as far as I had very little heartburn, I had some swelling, but not a lot. And I had a very good delivery. My first pregnancy in those days, I actually had my water broke. And so at that time, they said, oh, my gosh, you have to deliver within 24 hours or we have to take the baby because there's a chance of infection. Well, nowadays, they're not so quick to take a baby or to say you have to deliver within 24 hours because back then they said, yes, the infection can go up the vaginal area, creep into the uterine area, and give the baby, like, you know, infection of the heart or other areas. Nowadays, they know that the body, the mother's body, is constantly reproducing more water amniotic fluid so that it's keeping that baby flushed out, even if she's still leaking. However, because I hadn't started full-blown labor after about nine hours, they decided to induce me. They put me on high doses of Pitocin, which is a pharmaceutical copycat of like oxytocin, and oxytocin is the hormone that your body produces to tell it to go into labor. So one of the questions one mom had sent me is, what do we do about sleepless nights before the baby's born, insomnia? Well, I hate to tell you guys this because it's kind of depressing, but that insomnia is part of the whole hormonal thing. The pituitary is responsible for producing the oxytocin that's going to trigger labor. So that's why you have that sleeplessness. Just before babies born, I always used to tell my girls, it's because God's giving you the chance to know what it's going to be like to be up all night. <laughs> and that's part of it. But the other part is your pituitary is the hormones are completely changing. Everything is gearing up and getting ready for that delivery. And so the pituitary is excreting this oxytocin that's going to trigger that labor. And so all these things, are, all these changes are going on. See, there's, there's not a lot you can really do about that unless it becomes extremely excessive. But I know I've heard some moms, oh, I have to take sleeping pills, I have to do this, I have to do that. Well, that's going to mess up your labor. Because your body is working really hard it, just before that baby's born to get all these factors and all these hormones in place to have a good, efficient, labor and delivery. Now, when I was up all night long before my babies were born, guess what I was doing? I was cleaning cupboards. I was, you know, getting things ready for that baby. And I can say all of those factors take place because that's just God's way of getting the job done in the end. So when you have insomnia, really don't worry about it. If you take a nice warm magnesium bath before you go to bed at night, have a cup of a nice... You know oddly enough, warm milk before you go to bed with a little bit of cocoa and some stevia or something like that is very soothing because it's rich in calcium magnesium it's going to put you to sleep if it's possible that you do sleep so don't panic about that situation um during the pregnancy. but the point is <laughs> is I had like I said I had such a um Back to the acid reflux. such bad acid reflux. Do not take Tums people, okay? Nowadays, we know how harmful it is with all the aluminum and the really bad stuff in there. And there are other things that you can take. You can take Nux vomica, like a podium. Um, like I said, in a critical situation, the sodium bicarb, which works fantastic. And walk around. After you drink it, walk around. let all the Help all the bubbles escape and just let that soothe the stomach. And oddly enough, there's not so much sodium in it that it's going to really cause a lot of um, imbalance. It's, it's not... I don't worry about it too much um, because it, it doesn't cause a lot of sodium imbalance. But the... Um, the different things that you can do with the acid reflux, obviously, you know, I, if you smoke, they say that that's a factor. May or may not be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I had heartburn with every baby. Unbelievable heartburn. But I had, I had the the gerd when I was a infant too. It was so bad that, like I said, my parents put me on medication for a short period of time and then took me off it because it made me turn all red. But I always had weak stomach. Um, just the way it is, and um, it's it's. A hereditary issue that we have in our family. It's a weakness. We're more predisposed to hiatus hernia and and things like that. And see, the stomach and the heart go together. So people who have like a weak heart, poor circulation or, or poor digestion, things like that, it all goes together. Very hereditary. And if you eat good, exercise, keep your weight down. That's the biggest thing is to keep your weight down. And that's why some women have so much trouble when they're they're pregnant is because everything's being shoved around in their abdomen. And so if you have a weakness at all, it's going to affect that weakness. And, and as, as baby and is pushing all your guts out of place and up, 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 <laughs> you're going to notice some problems. So watch what you eat. Don't eat before you go to bed. Things like that. And I say watch what you eat. Don't, want, don't eat things that are going to be hard to digest, especially in the evenings. And so that way you can you can keep the the bad intake of medicines and things like that you can keep you can you can manage it can all be managed it really can so with parents, when I found out I was expecting i like i said i had slight um slight toxemia. I I got really puffy. I didn't gain that much weight, but I got excessively puffy around my face and my hands and obviously my feet. Later on when I was reading James Tyler Kent, he had I was so fascinated to read his story and honestly, I have to go back and try to find this again because it's he he goes into quite great detail about it because he talks about the different miasms of disease, okay? And Back in those days, they had the three miasms. They had sora, psychosis, and syphilis. And they they all represent different stages of disease. Sora being the lesser of the three, and then psychosis, and then syphilis. But the point is, is today we have 10 miasms, and these miasms fit within these three categories. So we've just basically expanded them. We haven't changed anything. We've just expanded the state of disease and the understanding of it and the mentals that go with that. But... We are all born with hereditary disposition, okay? That's why the doctor says did any of your parents or grandparents die of cancer, hip joint disease, diabetes, you know, what runs in your family? We have that disposition. We've talked about this on a, many of our podcasts because it's there. It's a fact. The allopathic world accepts it. The homeopathic world accepts it. The natural world accepts it. And so we might as well accept it, right? So we're born with this. But... All of these hereditary dispositions, all these hereditary tendencies never need manifest if everything in our life is perfect. If we're, we're our mothers carry us and have a perfect gestation period, if we have perfect nutrition and we have perfect rest and we have perfect happiness and we have everything in our life is perfect and we are taught from young to understand and be able to handle stress and to love our neighbors and to be charitable and to be truly kind. And if we are nurtured properly, our mind, as well as our bodies, will be healthy. Okay? That's perfect. And so all of those diseases may n- never need to manifest itself. Our, say our mother is has a horrible fright when she's carrying us. That horrible fright will be imprinted upon our constitution when we're born. If our mother helps us to get over that, if we have a homeopathic remedy, or if everything in our life is perfect, we will easily overcome that horrible fright that our mother experienced when we were pregnant. She was pregnant, and so on and so forth. And our whole life is like that, depending on, what is the old saying? For every action, there is a reaction. So for everything that happens in our life, depending on our health, our mental health, as well as our physical health, how quickly we're able to overcome that situation, or with the help of homeopathic remedies or other things in our life, we're able to overcome those things, then we will be a healthier person. We will be stronger for every experience, and we will be healthy. But all that nature and nurture has to be in place so that we're learning to overcome these things naturally and in a healthful way. So when we're born... And as we have disease, and depending upon that disease, was that disease suppressed? Were we given Tylenol? Were we given antibiotics? All these different things. If if our systems have been suppressed, by the time we get married and begin having children, this person who is about to become a parent, all of that suppression is going to be imprinted upon that child. Okay? So... You take my husband, who was seemingly healthy, and myself, who were seemingly healthy. And I say seemingly healthy because we were good, strong persons. And and like I said, we, you know, yes, we appeared to be strong. I had a lot of suppression in my childhood. My husband also had some. He he wasn't sick a lot, but he had some allergies, and they gave him allergy shots, so he had that. But he also had some other predisposition that was suppressed from his parents as well. So here we have two generations of suppression and we're about to have children so we f- we find out we're going to have our first son and I become slightly toxic why is that according to kent my my healthy person with my own suppression and my own garbage <laughs> i'm taking on now because of the child my husband has given me his dna his imp- Everything that he's carrying, he's given it to me. So now my body, and, you know, you take a wall plug in, and it, they, it, they call it male and female. The female rarely ever gives anything to the male. The male always gives things to the female. And it's been this way. We've known it, you know, like, even in home, what do they call those houses of Bordeaux? The women would always take on the men's disease. Only, only once in a while would the man take on the woman's disease. That's just because of this male-female Males give more readily than females do. But the point is, is that a woman, when she's going to have um, her husband's child, she will take on, now at the point when he's given her this child, she will take on his disease state. So if it's anything other than what she's already carrying, she has to, her body has to come to that level. It has to accept that disease state, and it has to deal with a whole lot of stuff during that first pregnancy. That's why so many first pregnancies are complicated because that woman is now trying to adjust to her husband's disease state. Even prior to ha- um, the pregnancy, she hasn't had to really deal with it because she hasn't actually taken on that full-blown DNA and her body having to change through it. But that is what's going on, and that's why so many first babies are complicated. And like I said, James Tyler Kent explains it wonderfully. And so when, you know, a woman later in her pregnancy, she she might have a, if she's in a weakened condition later, she might also have some issues, but it's only that first baby that she is, her body is going through all those changes so that as to accept everything her husband has put upon her. So that's a very big, I don't know, something to accept, but it's, it's absolute fact and it's, um, Kent, like I say, Kent, James Tyler Kent explains it very wonderfully. And when you come to realize the whole disease state, then you'll understand that as well. So like I say, we share everything when we get married, okay? <laughs> we even share each other's predisposition, hereditary predisposition. Like I said, my husband, he, doesn't have to, he didn't have to take on my disease state, but I had to take on his, so now I have mine and his. And so even my second pregnancy... Later, um, I I actually, my second pregnancy was pretty decent, and then I had a miscarriage. And then after my miscarriage, and the miscarriage was due to the fact that in Minneapolis, St. Paul area, they have this, it used to be the tallest building in the area, but it was um, 52 stories high. And I had gone down, I was, I was with my parents and... Um, my two little babies I Ryan was just tiny and I had well, my other Missy was just just a few weeks old anyway and so i was expecting um was, <laughs> my first two are not quite a year apart they're they're the same age for one week what do they call the irish twins and today's st patrick's day as i'm recording this that's so kind of cute so the irish twins and then my next baby would have been th- uh, missy would have been a year no no uh, let's see. There, they would have been about thirteen, fourteen months apart. Anyway, and so when I was going down the IDS tower, I, um, the, the uh, you can't feel it because it's an express elevator. It goes really, really fast, but your body feels it. That internal pressure. It's kind of like you're in an airplane, and when you land, your water bottle is crushed. You didn't feel that, but your body did. Okay, so that the, that force is upon the body. So when, when the elevator landed, I began hemorrhaging, and uh, we went into the hospital right away, and back, they kept me overnight, and back then, they had to, you know, bring the ultrasound to you, because they were it was such a rare machine, and um, anyway, the baby was still alive, but I was still hemorrhaging, and there was no way they could stop it. It took me two weeks where I hemorrhaged for the, during that whole time, and then the baby died, and I ended up having to have a DNC later. It was, it was horrific, okay, and that's why when People say, oh, how, you know, how can you stand all those kids? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I didn't, when I found out I was going to have that third baby, I was just like, what? And I cried and I cried and I felt so sorry for myself. I did not not want another baby. I just, I just thought my kids were like the coolest thing ever, but I didn't want to be pregnant again. And I felt pretty sorry for myself. I thought, what am I going to do with all these babies? And well, then when I miscarried, I cried for a week and, uh. And then I was sweeping the kitchen floor, and I was just given this huge grace to realize that, because my baby had died before, I had the chance to do anything wrong, and I did ask the nurses to baptize, I realized, and they could only baptize just what well, you know what was left of the baby. But I realized I had and I had a child in heaven, and I would get to meet him or her someday, and so it was I was okay after that, but whenever I found out I was pregnant again, I never cared. I'm like. Bring it on, Lord, you know, because I will not complain again, and I don't think I ever did. I cried a couple times, you know, because you find out the shock of oh what another one and i- I just cried, it was just like a reaction, <laughs> and then I would be all excited again, but children are such a blessing there's and and i just I just feel so blessed that we had such beautiful babies and and every pregnancy is so different, everyone you have. Then my next child, I was severely anemic because I turned around and got pregnant again right away, and so I was just extremely anemic when I became pregnant. I had a wonderful pregnancy I was so happy through all through the whole pregnancy, but about at the seventh month, I started itching and we were going t- i'm going to i'm going to talk about this disease when we get to it i have I have a list of things to talk about, but I have a weak liver and so I itched Im- unmercifully. By the time she was born, all the skin was scratched off the t- my knuckles and the tops of my hands and my feet. The All the skin was gone off the tops of my knuckles on my feet, too, because I was scratching my sleep even. It was just unbelievable. And... Uh, so anyway, I had a friend later, and I, I oh, I thought I suffered. It's like fact is, I've had a ruptured spleen, four broken ribs, I've had to have gallbladder surgery. Just <laughs> I've had so many things wrong with me. But we were talking the other day, and I was telling the girls about doing this birthing course, and they said, "And you know what?" I—I be- was forced to recall all the different pregnancies with my itching, and I said, "Of all the things that have ever happened to me, I suffered the most with my itching." Every pregnancy is different. Um, I will tell you after that child was born with when I had my complications in my liver. The next child, I'm again. I'm hypersensitive to pressure changes, and it was November twenty. Oh boy, and I mean November twenty fourth, and I was sitting out in the front yard. It was the most beautiful sunny day, and I was sitting in a chiffon, just. A a s- not sleeveless blouse, but nearly sleeveless, and I had my lavender pants on. I just remember that outfit so much. I looked like a like a plum or something, but I just loved it. <laughs> anyway, and I was just feeling my oats that day. I felt like a million dollars, but I was I was eight and a half months pregnant and. I was sitting there with my father-in-law, and he, he went t- to get a beer. And he says, "See what you like one? I said, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And my husband's like, you better not drink. And I say, hey, listen, baby's got its own liver. I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm going to have a beer with my father-in-law. So him and I sat there, and I sat in a, lo- a chase lounge drinking my beer. And we had so much fun. Anyway, we got ready to go home. It was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We headed home. And I went home, sat on the toilet, and sploosh! And I'm like, "Oh my word, my water broke!" And I went to wipe, and it wasn't water; it was blood. And my, of course, I don't know, however, however many moms have their baby, their kids walk in the bathroom with them, but my three or three or four-year-old daughter was with me. I think she's she was three or three and a half at the time, and she was with me. She looked up at me; and her eyes just grew wide. And I said, "It's okay, honey. Mommy's gonna have a baby." And I went and. I Called for some help to come and babysit. My husband took me to the hospital. I says, "You know, honey, I haven't felt the baby move. Gosh, all day. I don't even know when the last time was I felt the baby move." And so we went to the hospital, and they did he had the monitor, and they got the baby's heartbeat. But as soon as I would roll over, they would kind of lose it. So anyway, so I laid there all night long, and I was trying to start labor. I Was losing bowel movement as i have bowel movements and just i felt really sick to my stomach and different things were going on well anyway the next day they decided to do a cesarean but by that time we had had such a a storm move in that we had like two and a half foot of snow that day so that's what had happened to me is i um and because i'm super sensitive to pressure change i started hemorrhaging just like i did when i last had the miscarriage at my third pregnancy they never did figure out what's wrong with me. And the nurse told me that the baby, just she's just sensitive. And so every time I'd have a contraction, she'd just kind of like freak out. And anyway, so I did have to, I had a cesarean. And so she was a beautiful baby. There's nothing wrong with her. They never could figure out why I hemorrhaged. This next baby, two years later, they, it was a planned cesarean. And because the hospital wouldn't do VBACs at the time, even though I fought with them and I, my insurance agreed to have anesthesiologists on hand and everything. And In hindsight, why didn't I move, go to a different hospital, right? But anyway, so I had another scheduled cesarean. And so my history. <laughs> and then the next one, my sixth baby, I did have, I had the first V-back in the, that hospital then with, with him. And it was, you know, it wasn't without its scary moments. But um, like during a pain, I felt a, like a pop in the incision area. So the doctor literally had to go up there and check everything out on the inside. And it was smooth. It was fine. But it must have just been just something just moved a little bit. And so the next baby was one that was really rough. Um, They tried to induce eight days because I was itching again so severely. And what happened is the induction didn't work. And so then after the influx of Pitocin, the next eight days was, I turned orange. And I was so miserable. And then when she was finally born, I became toxic after she was born. Because by that time, my liver literally shut down. And the doctors told me, you better not have any more kids because your liver can't handle it. And so I just looked at him like, everything you've told me for the last how many years now, none of it's been true. So I'm not going to start listening to you now. And oddly enough, um, oh, she was a beautiful baby, but... I had some difficulties. I didn't I had to have a D&C 6 week after 6 weeks after she was born because I told the doctors I didn't clean, didn't know about homeopathy at that time. And so I didn't clean and had to have a D&C again. Like I said, here I've been working trying to heal up. They put me on antibiotics twice after she was born. And this is my daughter who's going to tell you the story about her systemic candida because she was on antibiotics because of me because I was nursing. And so she I did not know she was living with Candida her entire life. There's just so many things I could go back, and she was the only one that, you know. So she she sucked her thumb until she was like like nine. We finally it was just unbelievable the things we did to that poor kid trying to get her her, sucking her thumb. But see, it was that Candida, and I didn't know it. Anyway, so the next baby, mm, I actually believe I miscarried a twin with the next one because he was supposedly three weeks early <laughs> but he was my second largest baby and um, he had a 14 and three-quarter inch head you know I mean there was nothing slight about him <laughs> and so anyway and he has like you know I'm sure he'd love me talking about this but he has extra body parts and that's one of the signs is is if a mother miscarries a twin real early the baby can absorb the extra parts or the extra tissue, and that happens a lot. And we actually don't even realize how many times we tend to miscarry early in the pregnancy, and or slough a twin, and so then, even my second baby, I spotted, um, and. They did an ultrasound and said I either miscarried a twin or my baby actually ripped away and reimplanted. But back then it was so—that's thirty-five, thirty-six years ago. There's no way of, you know, the technology wasn't good enough to know at that time point. But then because of my eighth baby doing the same thing, that's probably what happened—is I just miscarried the twin. So then with my ninth baby, perfect pregnancy, perfect delivery, perfect everything. And, oh, and also the eighth baby, the one that miscarried, probably the twin, he was in the wrong position. It was just like a quarter of a turn the wrong way. And so that's just the way he just laid through the whole pregnancy. And so we had to, he had to be turned basically before he could deliver because he pinched off the cervix so it couldn't dilate. And so that was, that was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then. Yeah, and then my next two babies, you know, everything went really well. But because I had Pitocin so many times, because my liver was really weak, I tend to hemorrhage. I'm always anemic. And then what do they do? They shove Pitocin at you. to, They shove it to you to get you to labor, and then they give it, to you shots of it later to get you to stop hemorrhaging. And it's just a vicious cycle. I know when I was talking to the midwife, and she's like, you know, Um, for hemorrhaging after the delivery she just gives my daughter-in-law just a little squirt of shepherd's purse under the tongue and her bleeding just literally slowed to a crawl after that and then it was perfectly normal and it's like oh my goodness all those years of them giving me drugs you know and even when I did start knowing about midwives I by that time I was so high risk because you know I like, like say, when I first started having kids, they'd give you an episiotomy. Even when you thought about getting ready to li- deliver, the first thing it is, give you an episiotomy. And so by the time I had the doctor wanted to say, hey, Sue, let's do this as naturally as we can, and I'm not going to give you an episiotomy. I looked at him, I says, doc, I've had... Eight episiotomies. It's too late, you know, to start trying to do things normal. No, I think we'll try it. Well, I ripped really bad, and he felt pretty bad. He had to stitch me all up anyway. I said, I told you there was nothing left to stretch. (laughs) Isn't that awful? (laughs) But it's true. And see, might as well be aware of it. You know, I've had so many stories of my own. It's just, it's crazy. And my last son, when he was born, he was born so fast that, I mean, oh my gosh. And so he was delivered at six thirty in the morning the kids came in about eight thirty to come and see the, the new baby and everything and um as they walked in I looked at the nurse and I said and I, all my field of vision was just getting really small 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 it was black around the outside and I looked at her I says can you faint lying down she goes what because she hadn't checked me because we had a switch of nurses and everything and here I was hemorrhaging so bad by the time they got it under control, shots of Pitocin, whatnot, and so forth, my, my hemoglobin was down to 4.5, which would normally require a blood transfusion, but because it was due to delivery, they know that your body's going to build it up again real quickly. So, And it did. I just went on um, lots of B and molasses, and my blood came up very quickly, but it's just you know. <laughs> One thing after another. So, girls, anyone listening to this, dads, be supportive of your wives. Help them to get healthy, to be healthy, to stay healthy throughout the pregnancy, and get a midwife—a good midwife—that's come comes highly recommended from someone you know, and just have a really good relationship with a, you know, with this midwife and an open communication. And the thing I can say that is one of the most important things is whatever you're doing before you get pregnant, continue all the activity during the pregnancy. Don't stop. Don't sit on the couch and think, oh, I'm pregnant. I don't have to do these things. When I was pregnant, I was always so active. I I continued to milk cows. I continued to jog. I continued my exercises, my stretching, my jumping jacks. You name it, I did it all. I didn't stop. The only thing I did stop doing was... Standing on my head because my fifth baby, uh, three months, I was still standing on my head, and I I felt uh, kind of a tear. I went into the doctor. I was so scared. He goes, "What? Standing on your head and you're three and a half, three and a half months pregnant? I go stop it!" <laughs> he says, "You're just feeling the stretching of that tendon in there." He says, "And it, you're, you're gonna end up with a tipped uterus and all sorts of problems if you're not careful." So I did stop standing on my head, but I went water skiing, I went bowling, I did everything I normally did before I was pregnant. If if it was something new, I didn't attempt it while I was pregnant. But if it was an activity I was used to, I continued to do it. Horseback riding. Like I said, I did it all. And I walked a mile and a half every day. I was very, It's always been very, very important to me to stay strong. I'm 55 now. Going to be 56 in a month or so. But I'm still as strong as most younger people. A little heavier than I'd like to be. But I'm still very strong, and I can do anything I want to do. I can still water ski and downhill ski. I can still go bowling and all these fun things. I can still enjoy my grandkids. I still mow lawn, and I'm getting ready to paint my house here in a month. The point is stay active. It's very important to good health, and mental as well as physical. Because if, if you stay active you feel good you feel good about yourself you feel good about life and and that's especially pre- important during pregnancy the only time i ever recommend bed re- or, you know calming down is when the midwife or the doctor says hey bed rest because you're threatening to miscarry then you have to think of the baby but even then there are things you can do to keep your health up you know limit your calories as far as what you need for sitting around and then Deep breathing exercises. There's you can still do some yoga. That you can still do some some very you know things that are just going to help strengthen your your system without threatening, you know, the the baby. So, with that, I'm actually going to take a break here, and we're going to this will be known as our first little audio here. But I, I just wanted to give you some background as to what was going on, and we're going to move on with some some, um, more information. Thank you for joining us and may God bless you and yours.
1: Learn about gentle yet powerful homeopathic remedies that can support and empower you in your journey from pregnancy, childbirth and beyond. Join Sue Meyer for her new course, Homeopathy, Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond. Sue shares helpful homeopathic remedies and other experiences that she's learned from her life As a mom of 11 children and 33 grandchildren. Topics include tongue ties, breastfeeding, morning sickness, teething pain, postpartum depression, fatigue during pregnancy, the vitamin K shot, jaundice, mastitis, remedies for dad, and so much more. In this course, Sue's included some exciting bonuses, special interviews with a midwife and a doula amazing birth stories from special speakers, special training sessions on essential oils for pregnancy and childbirth, and special coupons for kits and supplements mentioned in this training. Get immediate access to this course today at courses.homeopathyformommies.com forward slash birth course.